You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to Practically Pastoring. My name is Frank, and I'm glad you're listening to this uh, special episode of Practically Pastoring. For a couple of weeks now, we've been talking about this uh, book that we're reading called The Gospel Driven Church. It's a book written by Jared C. Wilson, and uh, we, as the, the guys in the podcast, decided to to, to read it as like a kind of like a book club thing, and we wanted to invite you all into it, and many of you guys did read it. And so what, we, what you're going to hear is the audio of the Facebook Live Zoom call that we had on on Monday, March 1st, as we reflected on the book, answering some of your questions and kind of dig, digging deep about what we liked and didn't like about the book. If you want to um, be a part of the next book club, uh, make sure you are in our Facebook group. Go to our go to Facebook and search Practically Pastoring and find the Facebook group. Not the Facebook page, but the page can take you to the group. And in the group, uh, you can vote for the next book that we are going to read. So, hey, I, I'm excited about this conversation. I think it was really, really good. Um, if you enjoyed it, if if you liked it, I, I want to ask you if you do me a favor by please uh, giving us a review on our podcast, by letting people know about the show wherever you can. And, um, yeah, any way you can help the show, that would be helpful for us. It's join our Facebook group, all that kind of stuff. By leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, does help us on Apple on on the on the podcast app, um, but if you want to watch the video, if you're in our Facebook group, you can rewatch the the the, uh, the the conversation there, or you can go to our YouTube channel uh, to see the video there. All that will be in the show notes. Um, but hey, thanks again for for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next week. Hey guys, we're live. What's up? We have one. We have one view. I think the view might be me. So that's cool. Or me. Uh, <laughs> if this was a Sunday morning. That one view, I would assume, would be my mom. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. So, anyways, we have people coming in. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into the book in a second. Uh, let's just quickly catch up. How, how, how was your services uh, yesterday? Everything go well? Nothing bad happened. Very youth pastor of you to say last night. This is not a Thursday, Frank. You're right. You're right. This is not a Thursday. <laughs> Old habits die hard. I caught myself yesterday because I said you guys like three times. Oh, yeah. And then I was like, you know what? Thank thank you to those of you who are joining us. I made it more senior pastory instead of saying Ooh. you guys. But yeah, it went pretty good. Went pretty good. Yep. Yeah, we had power went down while we before we were set loading in, and uh, so we moved the entire sanctuary outside, and I was ready to rip and roll on a sermon that I have in my back pocket. And then one hour before services, the power came back on, so we had to move the entire thing back into the skating rink to get ready to join the other campus. So we were, I got all of my steps in by like 10 a.m. yesterday. It was nice. And you're lifting, I bet, huh? Yes, sir. Gains. Nice. <laughs> Awesome. Um, uh, one of our campuses, uh, three cards got broken into. That's oh pretty... shoot! Yeah. Uh, I, do you guys uh, I, in Tampa we had this? Um, do you guys ever see churches that have police officers like parked in the parking lot or anything like that? We do. It costs like it costs like some nominal fee per yeah. like per off hour duty. Yeah, it's probably off duty officer. I don't know. Uh, I, I highly suggested it because <laughs> like, we have we have undercover cops that sit in our parking lot and stage things during the week 
maybe about <laughs> twice a month. They so like stage certain, things? They stage like stings. And there's been times when I've <laughs> run into them in the parking lot and been like, hey, how's it going? And they'll roll the window down and be in like full bulletproof gear. And Whoa. I'm like, oh, officer, have a great day. Yes. And I leave and then I like go watch on our security cameras and I'll see there was one time where like another SUV pulled up. Three guys in tactical gear hopped out, got in the car with that guy. They wow. loaded up with a bunch of firearms and vests and then pulled out. And I was like, okay. Wow. My they do the canine training on the back area. of ours. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was super dope. There there was a hostage standoff at one point. Wow. And so there were like 40 cars and SWAT right outside the youth building at my former church. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> Except someone's about to get murdered. But other than that, it's awesome. Other than that. That's awesome. Um, all right. Well, I think, I mean, it's it's already 12 oh, 1.06 your time. 12.06 over here. Um, I think there's enough people here to start talking. So, hey, we all read this book, right? And or listen to it. Oh, you're like one of hey, those. Hold on. Does listening constitute as reading? Because I hear people say, I read the book, but they listened to it on Audible. Does that, is yes. there a yes? It's I, I listen to it on Audible. I listen to it's, it on Audible exclusively. It's, so it's it's 2021. Listening. I also is have reading. it on Kindle. Listening is reading. Okay, that's settled. See, we already accomplished something here today, fellas. I feel good. <laughs> so yeah, it's I all mean, about uh, those metrics that matter. I actually listened to it, and then um, and then uh, like like Tim, um, I got some other people. Like my senior pastor wants to make our entire staff read this book now. Um, and so, so as Jeff said right before, uh, my, 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 my worship pastor is about to get fired. <laughs> I told him you better warn him, dude. <laughs> no, no, no. But, uh, but yeah, uh, I got the book because I was like, I wanted to highlight some stuff and, and, and kind of think through it. But, um, I think, you know, over the past couple of weeks, as we've been prepping for this meeting, we've been talking about how, what we liked and didn't like about the book kind of, you know, high level. And I think it's kind of a consensus that there's some stuff that we like, like, and then there's some stuff that we don't like. Now, according to Andrew in the group chat, he abhors this book, apparently. <laughs> I don't he loathes it. it. Hey, just... we we promised we wouldn't reveal the group chat. <laughs> I just don't think it's that good. It's no longer safe. <laughs> why? why? Is, why is, is that it... camera angle there? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> We've got an intern with a handheld... And so he's just running around trying to get the best shots of us. He's just standing there. Yeah. So <laughs> he's got a really steady hand. He's Shout got out a to him. Very steady hand. He well, here on... we go. No, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to say he used to be on the office, but he wants to get into the church streaming world. So he okay. uh, looked for an internship and thought that Tim and I were the. Makes that doesn't sense. make sense. Safety Harbor. Love it. Love it. Well, hey, if you're watching this and. Uh, you have you read this book too, and you have thoughts or questions about it. I would love to put your put your input in the comments. Someone's like breathing really loud into their microphone. I'm like, I hear a lot of like breathing or whatever. Anyways, uh, I think that's you, Florida. Bunch of you mouth breathers over there. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when we're live. We 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 don't get to edit the bad parts. Of our- we just walked three whole blocks, and it's like 84 degrees uh, outside. I'm sweating. So. That also just might be the air conditioning that you're hearing because it's very hot here. Yep. Okay, sounds good. But hey, if you have if you read this book or love your questions or responses to our discussion, but hey, I want to ask you guys straight up, like, what are the what, what's your overall impression of of this book? What was your like? Uh, what did you like? What you didn't like? I kind of want, want some high level stuff, and I can think that can lead our conversation to this first ever book club review. 
All right, I'm going to jump in because this was my recommendation, right? Yeah. When we when we talked about which book are we going to do first, I think I was the last to recommend a book, and then when we put the poll out, like the book took off, and it wasn't was it even close between another book? Like everybody was like, yes, let's dive into that book. <laughs> I, I think it's a it's a hot button topic. Um, I I want to preface our whole conversation with mega churches are are easy targets right and so i want to avoid that because i think jared does a good job of saying this is not a knock at mega churches because there are many small churches who also fall into this uh, attractionally driven paradigm so this is not like ah look at that big church i knew you guys were doing it wrong that's why you had so many people this is not that at all i was driven to this book by an elder who listened to Jared's uh, Gospel Coalition uh, talk at the 2019 conference they put on. So I listened to that, then I dove into the book, and then we recommended the book to all of our elders, our staff, and our key leaders who have now all finished. We have a retreat coming up on Saturday uh, to, to dive more into it together as a staff. Uh, I've enjoyed it. Uh, I've really appreciated Jared's take on what's wrong with the attractional model. And I also appreciate that he hasn't gone out and said, like, there's nothing, like, you can't throw away everything about the attraction. Like, there are some things about the attraction model that make sense that we can absolutely use and adapt in our context. But if we are not driven by the gospel, then there's going to be an issue because what we win them with is what we win them to. So if it's attractional, principles, that's what we're going to have to keep doing to keep people in our doors. And we live in a culture of consumers. So if that is what we want our church to be about, well, uh, then it will be. So I, I just, can we, can we exist? Can we coexist here? Like, can we, I don't know. I do think that when we lean heavily on the attractional paradigm, our church is going to be all about how can I continue to satisfy my consumers? I think you kind of just answered your point in the sense that attractional model treats church as a product and every product has a shelf life, you know, but the church doesn't have a shelf life. So I think to me, like you're, you're really close to that. What I do like that the attractional model brought, because like you said, there are some things that it did. I like the fact that they learned, Hey, it's important to have metrics to measure. And what I picked up from the book was, we just might be measuring the wrong metrics, but it, but how long do we go without measuring anything? And then, you know, even throughout church history, we have been measuring, but it's been the wrong thing. And what I absolutely loved about the book, and I know we'll get into it here later on, is he showed you tangible metrics, how to measure grace in a church. Because our church, one of our biggest things we say is church is a place of grace. But let's be honest, if you ask most people, what is what does it mean to be a place of grace? A lot of people are like, well, that just means that you're overwhelmingly nice, <laughs> you know, or, or overwhelmingly forgiving. But what I like is he says, no, there is actual grace. And this is the metric for it. That was like, that was worth the price of the book right there for me. Uh, yeah, I would say in a similar vein as what, uh, Tim, you said, I appreciated that uh, this is a conversation that needs to happen. And, you know, it's good to remember that the attractional church was a one generation's response to what they saw going on in the church. And then I think we're probably all the way on the other side of that almost, where we're now uh, saying, hey, well, that was a good thing, but 
what ways did that go off as well? Uh, and so I, you know, I think it's easy to sort of. Um, I, I thought he did a fairly good job of not painting his the opposing view to what he's presenting in its worst possible light. Like he's not saying that we should assume that everyone who's attractional is just doesn't care about the gospel and doesn't care about anything except numbers. Um, you know, I, I I don't think I agreed one for one with everything exactly in this book, but I do really appreciate that he did his best. It seems like to be charitable uh, and to paint you know those views in the best light. I mean, the character, the lead pastor of this church, is having this internal you know struggle of wanting to do the right thing and realizing he hasn't been for all this time and. So that, you know, it paints him in a light of a guy who really cares. He's not just there as some charlatan out for the filthy lucre. I was I was kind of underwhelmed, like, from from start to finish. I thought it got better the deeper into the book that we got. But two or three chapters in, I was kind of wondering, like, like really? Like, this, this is... This is what uh you know this is what I've committed to spending the the <laughs> next eight hours diving into, and and part of it was the 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 fictional church, which you know I I'm going through like my bookshelf, not like he went through his bookshelf and saw the different eras, but you know simple church, which was huge maybe ten or twelve years ago, same thing it had the you know first church versus cross church you know here's these two different kinds of churches um communicating for a change yeah i would say every every andy stanley book before 2006 you better throw that out now after this book well (laughs) exactly hey i'm gonna rip on andy stanley and yet emulate his writing style completely that was dope um (laughs) whoa 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 guys your audio is out it's like some weird clicking noises happening right now mute yourselves florida I mean, this is this is Jersey Wilson spirit saying "chill out" right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going. On. This is what happens when we're live, guys. We're doing it live. We're going. <laughs> we're going live. Hey, those of you watching under small church pastors, this just feels like an average Sunday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, can't hear, we can't hear you at all now. It's just like weird you. electronic noise. Just unplug everything and go with old school MacBook. All right, yeah. Frank, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do agree with what they, what, he, what they were saying is like, um, like, it, I, I think one is I was wondering is, is that fictional church that he's representing, like, are people really that kind of like, I don't know if ignorant is the right word, but is it really that kind of like pendulum swing, right? Like, like, uh, it went, went, like I've never, I guess, I've never been a part of what would be considered a seeker sensitive church, but even the most seeker sensitive churches. I don't think they were just like, what is the gospel? <laughs> you know, like, like I yeah. think they, I think they were like doing their best to like be gospel. Oh, Tim, your wife. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> to, 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 to like be gospel centered and reach out to their people. But like, they're just doing it in a way that's much more like sensitive to the seeker, I guess, or whatever. I, I don't know. I, I guess like, I, I realize that my perspective is unique in the sense that like, I've never been a part of a secret sensitive church. Perhaps I've had a lot of friends who served in secret sensitive churches. So that way, like I have mm. empathy for them or whatever, but at the same time, it's like, um, I do got, I, I, I appreciate your preface, Tim, where you said, you know, it's really easy to bash in the mega church because I would say up until I entered into a church that was larger than 2000 people, I would always see the mega church as this like, you know, 
cons- the Walmart of churches. They're just out here taking out the small guy. Yeah. And they have so much money they can throw around. They like it's not about theology; it's about profits. And the profits is the people that they can get into their building. And I think that, it's like, really easy to be like, "Well, yeah, I guess if you want to not preach the gospel, it's easy." <laughs> like it's right. so easy to go, go that cynical route. And it's so weird now because, like, the church I'm at, it would be it would be it would be split. Down. I think I think that, that if Jared was to like come to our church and be like, "Hey." This is how I feel. I, they would probably say like, "Your preaching is gospel centered, but your worship is too seeker sensitive." And like, and like, for like, I, I know that because from our community, like, depending on what their background is, if they come from a super conservative background. They see our worship. They see the skinny jeans. They see what I would just say is excellence in music, right? And they would say, "Oh, they're just kind of catering to this." To, to to get people into the door. But then when you hear our sermons, we're literally going to be in the Gospel of John for like for like 50 weeks or something, they're going to be like, oh, this is the boring gospel-centered preaching or whatever, right? And it's like, it's like, like, you can't broad brush mega churches like that. It's it's kind of unfair. And I think even the the biggest churches that they mention here probably are still doing a lot of good stuff. With that being said, Delmar, what you mentioned earlier about the, the gospel, um, the, the metrics of grace, this is really funny, <laughs> watching them. <laughs> Stephanie, Hey, right. can I ask a friend, uh, Frank, can I ask you a question now? What do you think Jared Wilson would say about advertising in the mall? Oh, I actually, actually <laughs> <laughs> what's funny is his one thing about advertising is the thing that kind of blew up Epicos is um, he said, oh my goodness, churches have people that wear jeans. That's like, he, he, he made the assumption um, people wearing jeans is not surprising in churches. I would actually say that's not true. I would say depending on what part of the country you're in. Um, right. I was just actually, that's that was kind of my point. Like you, you writing a book, you have to be pretty neutral on like geography and what works in specific areas. But yeah, like in the Midwest, for example, here's a great example of this. One thing I've learned since I've been up in the Midwest is when you see the word Baptist, it's not Delmar's Baptist. It's not Southern Baptist. No. Nope. It's IFB Baptist. It's yep. like the women wear skirts and dresses oh, wow. only. You still have clicking, guys. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, yeah, like like it's the it's the fundamental King James only kind of stuff. So with that being said, that is like the peak of conservatism. We're like in the in the in the in the South. Conservatism is basically just like Southern Baptist, which means probably the senior pastors wearing a suit, but you can probably wear jeans and stuff like that. But like I'm talking about, like you can't even listen to Christian music because it's too devilish, right? Oh, and yeah. so, with that being said, if you have an ad in the mall that says Jesus wears jeans, that's gonna be a kind of a bold statement, yeah. Because because that, that's not a thing in a lot of churches up here. So now, do you put that like outside of the Gap or like Banana Republic? Like, where do you put that ad? <laughs> our, our ad is uh it's actually uh it's a it's, it's a you can see the starbucks from the ad and it's not too far from the apple store so, it, it is that way up here too though like when uh, no clicking people, you guys solved the it. the power hey, cord came loose because it was a have, loose power cable we have 15 <laughs> cameras and tw- it's although mike loved andrew's dance moves you're you're welcome and steph says britney spears started in malls so i mean it, there you go it worked for there britney so britney yeah, she's winning the comment game right now though I was, <laughs> but before uh our sound issue died my the biggest thing that i got at the beginning of the book was when you were in high school and you had to write an opinion paper and you would create that straw man argument for like i i, I go back to 
you know, I grew I grew up in an IFB church. My parents went to Bob Jones University, um, so I grew up where there was like a real history of interracial dating is wrong. And I remember in like yeah. high school writing a paper opposed to that viewpoint, like no, no, this is an ungodly thing. And my high school teacher, which was in a way more progressive church than I was, was like, "What church are you coming from that this is a contemporary issue facing the church?" <laughs> and I was like, "My church? What? Do, what do you mean?" That's kind of what I got reading this. I, I just felt like it was such a straw man argument against this the attractional church model that I don't think. Wait, wait, Andrew, so would you say that that church does not exist? I, not, in the, I don't think it exists in the way. Like that you, you're saying, you think this issue is almost behind us pretty far I, now. I, the, the, big, the biggest thing for me that I was like, what in the world? When he had the when he was talking about the way that that he used to write sermons, and it was the you know what we used to do was we would pick a topic, find out what we want to say, find out what we want people to do, and then go out and search and find the scripture. I'm thinking, what what pastor <laughs> is actually writing sermons that way? Am I so Christ centered personally? You might be that I don't think that that even exists. I sat under one of those pastors in college at the church, and when I was in Charleston, believe it or not, yeah. Wow. Like I count one time, and they he do it used, in good faith. They're doing yeah, no, it in good absolutely. faith. They're not. He used. I counted it one time. He used eighteen different references in one sermon one time from like eight different books. Yeah, it was insane. But you know, the thing I loved about the book, the most formative thing for me, is um, it's it's the underlying message of who is the church for, you know. And I love how he used the example of how there's the idea of a worship service, which this is a service that we render unto our King in an act of worship versus a worship experience, which is a passive thing that I acquire for my own self. And those are two different approaches to the the throne. One is what can I give to my King? And the other one is what can I receive from him? And I think the idea of the gospel-centered church is you've already received the thing from him. That's grace. Every time you breathe, you've received grace. So now our job is to respond back. And I felt like he went kind of hard there because he even went into how Paul would refer to visitors um, of church, not as seekers, not as guests. He referred to them as outsiders. So I think there is something in that. You know, I get how many of y'all are willing to jump on that grenade right now? Hi, if you're here today and you're an outsider, we want you to welcome you to here. You know, how how hard do you go into that terminology in this book? How did but that land? To be in fair, you? Paul is well, talking to churches well, well, when he says outsiders. No, so. that's fair. Yes, to be fair, yes, that's a good point. Well, I guess the question. I mean, Jeff, it might be the person that asked this question the best. Is Jeff? You have communion every Sunday, right? Yeah. So I think like. That this is a question that I think would be the, the hardest one to answer is, would be for you is like assuming that there is a protection on the table for only believers having the Lord's Supper. How do you deal with that tension of outsiders, quote unquote, um, or you know people who aren't in the church um, when you have an element of your worship service that's specifically only for believers? Well, I mean, I would. Just first of all, say that's based on a presupposition that everything in the worship service isn't first for believers, which I wouldn't hold. Preaching is first primarily for believers. Uh, worship, I mean, 
in reality, an unbeliever cannot worship God. Without faith, you can't please God. So sure. yeah. uh, musical worship and engaging in worship can't actually be done unless you're a believer. Um, so you can sing the songs with us, but that's not the same thing as actually worshiping. Because your lips can sing praises and your heart can be far from God. So um, so that to me is, I mean, I'm coming from a presupposition that that actually makes that question kind of a moot point. Because everything that we do in the service is actually primarily for insiders or for Christians, but in such a way that an outsider can comprehend it and engage with it. So when when we sit down to plan a service, we're not thinking, what if an outsider is here? And, and we've had this... I may have mentioned this on the on the show before, but like we uh, once had a visitor come and and you know visit us, and their friend that invited them, uh, which I think is also part of this conversation, that most of the people that show up at my church are coming because they were brought by a friend, not because they responded to you know some kind of um, you know outside invitation. Although those can work, it's just in my context. There's a whole discussion about that. But anyway, they came to the church and their friend afterwards like debriefed, hey, what'd you think, you know? And they said, I I mean, it was okay, but I just, it was weird that you sang about blood. And mm-hmm. so it's like, you know, we're not even thinking about that when we're singing. Uh, I was just glad we didn't sing There Is a Fountain that day. Um, but we, <laughs> I think we sang like, I don't remember what song it was, but it was Power in the Blood. Maybe, maybe nothing but the blood. I don't know. Probably. But it was some song that sang about, and, and there's, I mean, plenty of modern worship songs talk about that and just assume that that's a normal thing but if you have no church background and you're an unbeliever that's weird why are we singing about a guy's blood that's strange so you know i would make the same question about song selection as you might make about communion what do you do then do you only pick songs that are the jesus or my girlfriend songs or do you pick songs that are i mean worship songs are for christians to worship they're not for and people may disagree with me here, but they're not for unbelievers to like engage with. You have to first believe before you can actually worship. So uh, that's how I would answer the question about communion. I mean, we just lovingly say, hey, you know, this is something that we believe is only for those of us who uh, trust in Jesus. And the, and the Bible says that if you do this meal in a wrong way, uh, judgment is coming. And we don't want judgment for you. We want grace for you. That's the whole point of the gospel. And so it actually presents an opportunity every week to preach the gospel uh, in that small moment and also to call, you know, those who are already insiders back to the table. So, I mean, we don't stand up before the sermon and say, hey, everyone, if you're not a believer, this really isn't for you, but you can go ahead and listen in, you know. No, Jeff, that is very that entirety of what you just said extremely convicted me when it came to the portion of the book geared towards the preaching pastor as well. Like, how many times do you preach this whole sermon? It's fine, but you're always going to find that one place where you know you shoe hole in the gospel so you can check it off. Where you know the, the book was saying, no, you start with the gospel because if you don't start with Jesus in the gospel, everything else is just moralism. It's just you yeah. trying to perform well, and kind of what you just said, you can't worship without the Holy Spirit, right? Um, you can't uh, you can't participate in really living out that sermon without the Holy Spirit as well. Hey, uh, I see a comment from Matthew asking kind of. Uh, he asked it a few minutes ago, aren't youth and kids curriculum that idea of taking topics and finding verses that fit them? My answer is yes, the bad ones are. <laughs> <laughs> to but, be fair. Uh, there are I, kids in youth curriculum that 
don't do that. And, and I and I think like that's actually a good question in terms of a- answering the question of like what's the purpose of children's and youth curriculum? Yeah. Because because I don't actually think I mean the book does talk about youth and children's in here, but um, but 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 the question is is like is there a difference in gospel centered preaching like in the main worship service versus these Bible studies that focus on youth and children? Because I think if if if, if we're being fair. A lot of student ministry, don't get me wrong, student ministry can be incredibly shallow. Children's ministry can be incredibly shallow, and we're teaching moralism, and that's a big problem. So I want to I get that out of the way. But with that being said, I think you have this unique privilege, or not privilege might not be the right word, but opportunity within student ministry and children's ministry to base curriculum around topics and themes that um, are, are in essence catechizing our children, right? Yeah. Um, where, where gospel-centered preaching, what we're talking about is the main worship service. If, if all we're doing is doing what like the worst case scenario of this book is assuming is like, okay, people are worried about the economy. How can we talk about <laughs> Jesus and the economy in a way, or, Oh, the politics is really a big deal. How can we talk about Jesus for president as our sermon series? Like, that is, I think, a little bit of a difference because I think in student ministry, A, you can preach gospel-centered topical messages, right? Like you, And I think that's the thing that, like, I think a lot of us um, in the gospel-centered world create these, like, dichotomies. It's like you either have gospel-centered preaching or you have heresy, and that's not how it really is. Yeah. There is exegetical preaching that can be done gospel-centered. There's also exegetical preaching that that can be done – Terrible, right? I've I've been in churches where it's like, okay, they stay close to the text, but their conclusions are not gospel centered, or it's just or it's just a running commentary on a book. Right, you're just That's reading the commentaries. Would, yeah, it's not what I would consider gospel centered preaching. Yeah, um, where 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 in topical preaching or or and I think in this question to answer Matthew's question more specifically, as a person who's created and, and like a lot of us here have created content for student ministry. There is a way to have topical messages that stay true to what the text is trying to say, as well as bring forth the imperative of the gospel while still handling topics like dating, relationships, uh, identity, anxiety, all that kind of stuff. I think, I think, I think the uh, the 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 thing that often the, the sad thing about student ministry and kids ministry is that we're it's most known for being moralistic without realizing there's a lot of content creators in student ministry and children's ministry that are creating topical topics that are gospel-centered. Andrew, go Well, ahead. I think it is easy to do the same thing we were talking about with mega churches. Like, pastors yeah. do that to youth ministry. Like, they, they blow it off like, oh, all they do is topical stuff in there. And it's like, that's just too simple of an answer. It, so much of, of the books seem to be, you know, it's either this way or that way. And I just, my thought that I kept having while I was going through it was, it can be yes and. Like, you, you don't have to be unattractional to be gospel centered. Like, the gospel is attractional. You know, it's uh, it's an invitation for all. Now, the whole come and die part, not very attractional. But <laughs> Jared makes this point in yeah, the book. But he, he does say I, yes. That but, but I'm well, saying. That's what happens when you listen to it and don't actually read yeah, it. Yeah, when, when you listen while you're, while you're cleaning and driving and whatnot. Ouch. But, that's what I did. <laughs> But the the idea that something and you know I think he got into the issue was it, we're not arguing against being practical we're arguing against being pragmatic yeah. was was the thing that he returned to time after time after time 
And I just think the answer can be both. And the the brief few minutes that they spent on youth ministry, I also loved how in that fictional church, the youth pastor and children's pastor were like, well, I was wondering when you were going to come to us. Already knew it. it. Oh, and, love and it. also, no, he was not the youth pastor. He was the youth minister or director. director he wasn't yeah. he wasn't a real pastor just a youth pastor not a real pastor probably not or, ordained yet probably didn't go to midwestern jared i see how it is but <laughs> he uh but j- just this idea that you know what they're doing well we got to figure out the whole church before we figure out what's happening with them just you know rubbed me weird i like some of the questions that josh uh presented for us he said how does this book offend you how did it encourage you and what do you hope to implement in your church uh i can tell you i was a little offended with the sound bites from other pastors where i could tell it was probably taken out of context like i i don't know like i haven't heard the full andy stanley sermon but he gave me one sentence from that sermon and i'm like dude i i don't like I don't usually appreciate the uh, that could have been taken out of context. Dude, I've said so much heresy if you just take one sentence. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But my my encouragement came from the. Uh, I bet you every pastor that he quoted was a white male, though. Oh wow! <gasps> Throwing that out there, you would go just, there. I, it's I, I don't consider myself to be a progressive person, and it's you. I read something like that, like when you get to the appendix, it's like also here's the name of three minorities who are doing things right. That was. <laughs> That was that was a neat nod that he threw in there in the appendix. I think on the encouragement side, it was it was Edward's five deeper characteristics yes. of a genuine movement. That, that loved it. We that is going to be the focus of our retreat on Saturday is diving into those five deeper characteristics of a genuine move of God's spirit. And I'm excited because I think that leads us into the practical side of how do we implement this? Is the this. five metrics, right? Yeah. 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 So growing esteem for Jesus Christ, a discernible spirit of repentance, a dogged devotion to the word of God, an interest in theology and doctrine, and an evident love for God and neighbor. So on Saturday, as a staff and, and elder board, we are going to dive into this. And what does this look like for kids ministry, for student ministry, for our, our worship arts, for our preaching? And we're going to just kind of have some fun and, and dream about what this looks like at Lakeview. Yeah, the metrics were by far the high point for me. I yeah, got, definitely. In, in my notes for this discussion, I had chapter three metrics. Super good. That's what so, I wrote down too. Like, before we move on from it, I do want to say I just dropped in the comments a article from Timothy Keller, and this goes to your point, Andrew. It's from 2001, so maybe that shows you how out of touch this book is that I'm thinking of the same article. But uh, it where he basically it's called um, evangelistic worship, and he does a really good job of talking through kind of attractional versus not insider versus outsider, and he kind of says at the end there's a third way which he calls evangelistic worship. So really would recommend that as a just as a good read it's kind of a pretty short article so uh, but yeah I, I was actually really encouraged by the five metrics because you know this is the first time I've heard of this book and read this book but last year when we I felt validated because last year when we were working on vision mission and values uh, we had a long discussion about not wanting to uh, have very specific goals uh, for discipleship because of this reality that like you can't measure things like that, that, that it doesn't really work. It kind of works, but not really. And then like we were going back and forth, like, but goals aren't bad, but you know, if you don't reach a goal then it kind of feels defeating and that's not really the heart of discipleship. And so we actually ended up uh, coming up with our vision statement, our, our mission statement, and then a uh, like a nine box grid that has values sort of statements in it 
Uh, and the way we talked about it was that discipleship is about movement towards Jesus. And so we have three rhythms under each of our three core values that we look for in a disciple to see whether they're moving towards Jesus or not. And then under each one of those nine, we also have an area where, as church leadership, here are the things we're going to do to create the environments where we can expect to see people moving in this direction. I feel like that's very similar to these five, you know, and, and what I notice about these five metrics is you cannot, you cannot assess these from afar. Like none of these can you just assess from afar. How are you going to know if someone has a growing esteem for Jesus? Well, you got to know that person and be around them. Yeah, and you, you have can't to actually, hire a firm to come and do an assessment. Yeah, and, and there's no like chart. You can't make a chart where you just check things and like you have to know that person. And there's never – the other thing I really like about these five metrics, there is never an end point to any one of the five. Like you can't be like, well, you're all the way devoted to the word. Yeah. No, devotion to the word is always growing. Esteem for Christ is always something that's there's movement. There's always movement. And because I really in the like attractional that. model, there is endpoint, right? You finally right. got baptized, and now maybe maybe you're tithing, and now we got you locked in. And there's a class you, know, you took, and you're serving, yep, and, and yeah, it's always you know it's very it's very measurable. And this is compelling to me in that the church is known as the bride of Christ, right? Or, or you know, so I think about that. Like, what if you tried to measure your own wife? By using metrics like that, woman, you cook for me five times this month, you get a better on the chart. Woman, we had sex at seven times. You got like, like if we just measured that way, versus what you just said, Jeff. No, actually, it's about knowing each other. It's about seeing our relationship develop. It's about seeing us grow. And just like that would absolutely destroy a marriage. I think that a lot of times when we do that with people, we begin to hurt the fabric of the church as well. To, to answer the oh, sorry, go for it, Frank. I was going to say um, to answer that question about uh, what offended, what I like, all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know if offends the right word. I rolled my eyes in the appendix part about like the gospel centered troubleshooting because I felt like that's when most of his opinions were he was kind of treat as. Um, no pun intended gospel. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, he, he, he had a statement about, you know, I was actually surprised by this because a lot of his like uh, pals in this, in his world do have video venue churches and he's like, video venues are not good or not effective or something. And, and he has a lot of opinions about like, what is a gospel centered like music and, and worship and stuff like that. And so some of that kind of rolled my eyes. I was like, this feels a little more pref preference than actually practical or, or actually helpful. I agree just said that because he dunked on campus pastors in the appendix. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Yeah, actually, his point about campus pastors was actually really good because he said, like, the, the issue about campus pastors is like, well, what's their purpose, right? Like, what, what do they actually do? And honestly, like, as, you know, multi-site churches have been around for however many decades, it's still confusing. It's still new. And it's still being developed. Um, Jared, I do if you're listening, Jared, if you're listening to this, we did an episode about that. Go back. And check it out. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Uh, I, I I agree with the metrics of grace. I wrote that down too. The other thing I thought was really really good was um, the keys to shepherding in transition. I think is not just good when it comes to shepherding a church transitioning to be more gospel centered, but like shepherding in general, like trans shepherding transition in general. Um, the well, uh, it's all of all of shepherding and all of pastoring is transitional, isn't it? Like everything we're doing is transitioning, hopefully, people from one place to another. 
but, so but, but that I, part is, you know, anything you can grow in that area is great. But even like, um, but even if it's not like, yeah, that's good. But I'm saying even in the greater sense of like, let's say you're trans, like Andrew and Tim, both of you guys went through a big transition of leadership yeah. from the previous leadership to the new leadership, right? Like, like Jeff, you're I, the only jobs you seem to take are big transitional jobs for churches, <laughs> right? Like, like I think the, the 10 things he has here where it talks about like employ plurality and embrace par- um, parity. Uh, show meekness and give mercy. Over communicate. Show your cards. Operate consistently. Consistency. I mean, like that stuff is so good because how many of us have been in big church transitions where that wasn't the case and it led more damage than good? So yeah. I think like that chapter could be its own book in the sense of like how to lead through a big transition. That was really really valuable, not just in the sense of transitioning a secret church to a gospel centered church, but transitioning any church to transition was was super helpful i think part part of that too is like i think i connect that idea back to not causing the little ones to stumble like the show your cards thing if you if you don't tell all the facts and you have immature folks in your church who then are prone to begin to gossip and think wrong things there's a sense in which you could be responsible for that as the leader because you weren't just up front and in kind of to use his language show your cards so that there isn't space for that kind of like dissension to grow. I one of the things that I was very encouraged by was the concept that a church running 2000 plus people would appoint their associate pastor with zero lead pastor experience to be their lead pastor because when has that ever happened in the history of churches like yeah. hey we're running you know six services and 2000 people let's get someone that hasn't preached every week ever before to come be our new senior pastor um so i thought that was encouraging for for associate pastors everywhere that was you know I, I thought that was great and one thing that i was very offended by was um when the senior pastor had to have the tech geeks make it so that his ipad could be shown on the screen <laughs> he should know how to do that wow he should, he should know how to do that and i was offended at the idea that it, it would take geeks to do something that mm. just takes a cable it's not that okay, I, was say, I also want to say this i read that and I actually don't like that. I don't like it when pastors call something that they don't understand geeks. Yeah. Like, or, or and, and I know this might be super kind of like almost like wokeish or whatever. I don't care because I felt like that was like, okay, I get it. I would say the people who are more technical than I am can help me with the iPad. Um, and, and I also don't like it when like in certain churches that tend to not go deeper in terms of like word study or stuff like that, they often, when they bring up like a Greek word or a Hebrew word, they'll say something like, Hey, this is for you Bible nerds out there. It's like, that feels a little bit like we should aspire to study more because this is something for Bible nerds and stuff like that. So anyways, I know that you said that as like a small pet peeve. That's the same way how I feel when we as pastors call things, that maybe the masses don't understand as geeks and nerds. If it's not about Marvel, don't use the word geeks or nerds. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like saying. What about the master splinter that Dell had on his microphone a few minutes ago? <laughs> hey. just, I, I'm just wondering where that qualifies. That's a that, positive. That's a positive form of geek culture. I'm okay, okay. with that. There you go. But that I, also I gets a, you out of shepherding people towards like that number four interest in theology and doctrine. Yeah. If, that, if you constantly say, "Oh, that's for geeks and nerds," it's the same thing we. You know, I've been frustrated about in youth ministry, like, oh, kids can't handle that, you know, exegetical preaching and deep theology. Just give them this topical stuff. And you're like, they can handle it. 
Do you remember that Stephen Furtick sermon way a long time ago? Oh yeah, he was he was ripping on Calvinists. And he says, Who? "Yeah, who, who's Stephen Furtick?" He's like he basically said like people who he was like he was it was really early. On, I I think it was earlier on in his ministry, and he was like being kind of ridiculed by like the Gospel Coalition crowd, the Gospel Center crowd, and he called them gluttons for theology. And he was like, you know, you sit there in the pews getting all fat and puffed up, and it's like. That is kind of the same kind of like bad interpretation of like what we're trying to say, because I think he actually shot himself in the foot when he said that, because now anybody at elevation who wants to grow deeper is now in being uh, threatened of, am I a glutton for theology? Yeah. Am I a glutton yeah. for like, like don't not, study, just serve. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. We just need and to I serve. Think, we don't need you to study anything. Yeah. To, that's one of the things beautiful about the book is that it really went into like, this should be the Christian life. It's the gospel. It's yeah. not the, the gospel isn't the sprinkles on the sermon. It is the sermon. And I, you know, to what you were just saying, Vody Bauckham did, God, y'all ever heard the sermon where he talks about um, spiritual young men? And he was talking about how, like, you know, a boy comes up in the church. He learn, he loves the scriptures. You know, he's, he loves learning theology. And what do we always tell him? Boy, you need to go be a preacher. And he's like, no, that's called being a Christian. Yep. And we pigeonhole these people into being preachers. And no, that should be the passion of every single Christ follower. Uh, I, I kind of felt that, that vein in this entire book. I think the thing that offended me in this book, but at the same time, was the most challenging. And it's actually something that's been on my heart and in my, my wall in my office for the last year was the one line. And it was this, uh, not only Paul, Paul, simply servants, bus boys in the house of God, they are nothing. And ultimately that is our goal as pastors is to be the best at being nothing for Jesus. Because when we try to build our own platforms, um, it grows. And, just look at um, megachurch culture pastors. I mean, I hate to say it, but look at the Elephant in the Room series that came out, what, 10 years ago now? I love that series, but systematically, what, over half of those pastors are no longer in the ministry, or they went through some horrible like moral failure, and I think it's because there's that little tinge of, yeah, you're nothing, but you know, God has given you this platform, so you got to be something about being nothing. And you know what's ironic in that is some of the pastors that did fail weren't the seeker sensitive pastors. That's so yeah, that's a good point. It's 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 it would be the guys that back in the mid two thousands would be the gospel centered people. Yeah, um, who who are no longer in ministry right now for some kind of failure or whatever. I, I mean, at the end wow. of the day, this isn't this isn't a, a high five towards the seeker sensitive movement or or anything like that. I think ultimately, the vital key from all five of us is there is value in this book in the sense of like. Yeah, we we need to figure out how to reverse engineer some of the sw- the pendulum swing that we saw from a couple of decades ago, but not go too far in the pendulum swing that we're like kind of just going in this like, you know, left and right, super far back and forth where we're 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 speaking over people and we're missing opportunities where where the gospel was reached by people who were going in that gospel um, that seeker sensitive movement. How can we swing a little bit more towards the center in that? Um, I've got I've got a question for Jeff because oh, yeah. Jeff you're you're the uh, the yes, worship leader. Yes, we take communion every week. I okay. know you do. <laughs> My um so the the one thing that that I wrote down that like you know one thing I wish you would have gone into more was you know there's the the whole plot line with the worship leader. But what 
what are examples of... I felt for that guy. Yeah, me too. I felt really bad for him. And he had to go to the cool coffee shop. I get that. Yeah. But what what were what are some examples of worship songs that would be the gospel-centered versus the attractional worship songs? I, I, I was like, dude, just like... Show me receipts. Get, you know, put 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 it in there because that was one of the parts of the book that I had a hard time kind of understanding. And I realized that you know if you're singing oceans every week, that might be an issue for some people. But well, I mean, there's a few different metaphors that are good to think about, like just categories of songs. Um, I tend to still be really attracted to the early like Mars Hill music that was going on back in the day. Oh, um, you know, I mean, a lot of it's really great. There's some of it that I'm not quite exactly where i was theologically but i still sing the songs you know um but like so any any old Dustin I, ironically Kendrew, that's what Derek webb just said when people said hey how are you charging 15 dollars to watch you live stream an album from your living room when you say you don't believe that anymore he goes well because i believed it when i wrote the song so i'm still <laughs> and okay singing it and i will still take your money I mean, let's go back to the old like uh, the old passion days, like that song, that old Charlie Hall song, "Marvelous Light." It's like the gospel in a song, you know. It's mm-hmm. Like it's great. So that kind of stuff, you could sing it every week. So one of the metaphors I try to walk my worship, you know, team through, and when I was the worship pastor, um, think about like, and in, in this actually came from uh, I think some a buddy of mine. It might have been uh, Matt Frank who asked you a question. Um, but anyway, it was like the the metaphor of like a, a well rounded meal. Like if you you know if you're going to eat dessert for your meal every time, you're not going to be healthy. Uh, so there are some songs like I would say oceans might be like a dessert song. You know, in the sense that like it's not bad necessarily, but it's not the best thing to intake all the time. So maybe mix that in once in a while. But for the most part, uh, you know, sing songs that are really that are centered on the gospel that. Um, an important thing I think to sing about often because of how much singing teaches us is to sing about our own mortality and our death and like to prepare ourselves that we're going to die. And so that like, would be like an appetizer song, but yeah, but, but give me, give me songs. What songs should I be singing? I mean, I don't is, even know the bad ones cause I'm just so, because <laughs> well, that's how I feel about their preaching. It's like, I'm so Christ centered. I don't get what he's talking about. That's what you're saying with, with the music. You are so Christ centered in your worship that you can, don't can, even uh, know what the bad songs can, are. Can I can I tell you, I haven't. We haven't sung a recent release in a long time, can, and that can, may not I, be a good thing. I'll show you some receipts. You ready? Yeah, I'm looking at my songs in. Okay, so mm-hmm. so in, in planning Jeff, center right now. I don't know if you remember this. So me and Jeff took the same worship classes in, in college. Not and above one, all, I can tell you that that's not in that, the mix. Well, that was the song I was going to mention. <laughs> Laid behind stone. In Bible college, we talked about egocentric worship versus theocentric worship. Yeah, and and and, and so a big thing is like a lot of hymns are theocentric. They're vertical songs about um, our perspective and our relationship with God and giving exaltation to God. And then there's egocentric worship, which is about our experience like what from our vantage point. So like in oceans would be egocentric. Mighty fortresses are God is theocentric, right? Above all, to me, not only is egocentric but it's also crazy heretical because <laughs> it has that line where it's like yeah you um, you took the fall and thought of me above all like jesus on the cross is like frank yeah, but it you. rhymes so <laughs> yeah if it rhymes yeah. that's that's important right 
That's all that matters. No, but it's funny because even if you think of like, um, I've been listening, if you follow some worship leaders, they talk about that dynamic of vertical worship versus horizontal worship and and how when they make an album, whether so, this is this is broad brushing. So forgive me if, if there's worship leaders in here, but how they, they themselves are trying to balance the amount of vertical worship songs to the personal egocentric worship songs. And to me, it's like, I'm not a worship writer. I don't even know how to write a worship song. I would be a guy that would be like, hey, let's just sing the Psalms because I'm not that creative. But like, my thing is, uh, if you're having a discussion of, it goes back to what Jeff said in the beginning, what is worship? What's the purpose of it? What are we trying to do? And if that's true, then, then like, like me and Jeff used to joke about this in Bible college. Like when we do a chapel, we'd be like, Hey, yo, let's play the bangers. Well, that by, by itself is already or off of the wrong foot because now we're just playing songs to make us feel good and jump around and like make us hype. Let's, let's think about what are the songs that's going to give from God the inside the out. Cool. That was the song. That was, inside that was out the was one. The that was jam. the jam. <laughs> it was one of the jams. <laughs> Still, uh, still, still, I think still it's, you remember it's, Sonic it's, Flood. I can sing your love forever. Oh. I remember they came to Charleston Southern when I was in a different part of the state. We took some students there for a concert, and I'll never forget. This is where we're in the middle of. You know, I can sing your love forever. And right before that song, the setup was okay. Everybody, right now in these next minutes, as we sing to God, you need to put up your rock fist. That's what was told to him. Put up your yeah. your rock fist, and we're gonna sing. I could sing your. Love I'm gonna be me. honest though. I would have had my fist up though, bro. And 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 my little Nokia now, but... phone with a light. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I think it's just a category thing. Like Andrew, back to your question. Um, so here's a song that we sang recently. This is a guy named Chris Renzema. He has a song called "Son of God." I'm gonna read you some lyrics. Uh, these are very poignant, and I feel very centered on Jesus and who he's. Who he I'd, is in the gospel. I'd prefer that you sing me the lyrics just so no. I can get a better picture. Okay. No, you should go listen to his version of it. Here, here's the verse two that just killed me when I heard it the first time. And uh, this is what, as a pastor, I'm thinking, man, this is what I want my people to be singing and believing and taking in. And we sang this this summer uh, a couple times. We have heard the promise of a land where war will cease from among men, but not by presidents or trials. We have seen the greatness of our king, hope that all will be redeemed, but not my military might, but by the man who bled and died. And it, like, so this song is explicitly kind of smashing into idols, and it was on purpose. So um, that's the kind of stuff that I like to do once in a while. You can't do that every week all the time, or everyone's just going to be mad, and that doesn't help either. But I also think that um, it's how you view corporate worship, and I think... The book helped us get there that corporate worship is discipleship. And this is one of the things that I think the attractional church can actually help us realize that everything you say, every word, every phrase you use, all of those things are forming us. So what the attractional church does get right is to say, hey, you should be careful with the words you say from the platform or from, you know, in the lobby, because, you know, if you start calling somebody an outsider, that might hinder them or if you constantly are talking about the stage instead of uh maybe the chancel which is an old word for that uh maybe that creates some wrong thinking so or those the are altar just if you're a baptist yeah or the altar whatever altar. it is um, well, and- so what ways are you discipling your people by your even just your actions and the way you do things and how you even you know just the way you speak that you don't even mean to do 
Uh, so I think that's where the attractional church is helpful in that, that they're saying, hey, everything you do is really important. You should think about all of it. Yeah. And I mean, as we cap this out, to your point, Jeff, so much of us moving from here to there in regards to becoming more gospel-centered, it is about the the forethought and the intentional progression. Because I don't know about you, but I think everyone who's been in ministry for as a while, where you're like, I know where we need to go, and you went there too fast. You know, I remember um, I did that in my last church. I was like, we're singing. I rolled in there. It's a little country church. So we're singing, I'll fly away. You know, I'm like, wow, okay. So I came in there one Sunday and I was like, um, we're going to sing instead of a show by John Foreman. And I don't know if you've ever uh, listened to that song. You should. That should be your homework for today because you will love this guy right here would sing it every week in his church. But um, we got done and, and ha- it, it, it divided our church kind of like politics because you had some people like, yeah, like all we're doing is goofing off. God hates your worthless performance. And other people are like, what do you mean? God just, he hates us now. And I was like, oh man, you're one worship guy. Screwed that one. So, hey, but the, I'll fly away is a good song though. Yeah, man. You're just going <laughs> to fly right on away. I'll say, I'll say, um, you know, I don't want to, I, I remember when I wrote that paper, uh, I wrote a big paper about egocentric versus theocentric. I went into that paper being super arrogant and being like, it should only be theocentric Throw all the songs that take away me and I, and like, I, I was so arrogant about it. At the end of that research paper, I realized like a lot of the Psalms are egocentric, right? Like a lot of hymns are egocentric. So it's not an issue of like, mm. oh, if I start singing about my perspective, it's bad. It's ultimately like, what's the aim of the song for? And like, I think, I think, not to speak in broad brush terms, but like there are a lot of modern worship songs that are kind of going way deeper into like um, the experience of being a Christian and like kind of what we gain out of it as opposed to like the worship of God. And I think that is something we as pastors need to be involved with our worship leader to help curate the songs that we're going to sing as a church that's molding and forming in us the character and the person that we want to see in the discipleship of our church. But it doesn't mean like there's a black and white line. that's like, all right, these songs are great. And these songs are bad because I would actually yeah. say that there are good songs that can be done poorly. Right. Like if mm-hmm. like, depending on what you're trying to say in the service and how you, how you form out your, excuse me if this is too, too like modern, the playlist of your worship service. Um, liturgy. Actually, that's what you mean. That's right. Man. The, the liturgy of the, <laughs> of the service. Um, the songs could actually be good or bad, depending on what you're trying to, the, the diet, as Jeff said, the diet that you're yeah, giving. When they were written is almost completely irrelevant as to whether they're yeah. gospel centered or not. Uh, I just dropped another link in the in the comments for a curriculum called Liturgy, Music, and Space. Just something that would be really help you think through some of this stuff. It's aimed at worship pastors, but I find it really helpful. Let's wrap up by asking this one one question around the horn. If there's one thing that you took from this book that you want to add to your church or changing your church really quickly, what is that one sentence thing that you're like, I got this from the book. This is what I'm going to maybe install in my church. I'm going to go um, back through our, our metrics. Yeah. And uh, with those metrics in mind and see if there's any tweaking that can be done. All right. So if you're at the metrics, Jeff talked first is because we all were going to say metrics. And so now I, we're like, dang, I, I jumped he in. Took, he took metrics. So I, I'm going to say that we don't have to throw every attractional piece out. Uh, I just, 
I don't know. I have friends, and, and Andrew, we've had conversations with guys who, who have said, well, an attractional church does that, so we will not do that. Yeah, and it's like we won't, we won't have a feather banner because, well, that seems too attractional, or we won't upgrade our sound gear because we don't want to come across as trying to be attractional. Like, that is such a dangerous mindset to be in. That's like be, anti-pragmatism, which is just as dangerous. Yes, absolutely. So I think what I'm going to do is pull the rug out from underneath my worship guy. <laughs> While he's playing, yeah, just. yeah. Delmar, do you have a, a, a certain or Andrew? I don't think did you answer this question. You know, the the five metrics in chapter three were, of course, the the thing that, like I said, Jeff went first because he knew that that's what we all yeah, wanted. You can't to say. say that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I will say this past Sunday we've been going through uh, the, the life of David and. So I had finished this book, I think Wednesday, and was finishing my sermon up Thursday with the idea of you know kind of making a beeline to the Christ uh, to the cross, and it was really easy because I was at David and Mephibosheth, so that's a that's an easy correlation. But just kind of the the thought of all right, yes, being expository in your preaching is good, and 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 leaning into the the meaning behind the text, but we're pointing people not to how we should behave, but rather to the grace that they have in Christ. And so find a way to point to the grace and find a way to aim for for the cross. That's good. Um, for me, my lingering thing that I need to do is admit to myself that much of this book was me entering an echo chamber for my own what I like. And I think a lot of guys, especially reform guys, this is going to be an echo chamber. So the thing that I need to take the most out of this is um, do it, do it slow. Like, because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fast hurried kind of person. I'm a salesman at heart. Um, You know, so for me, I think I need to let this book marinate in me a minute before I just start pulling triggers or I will just shoot up the room. So Delmar, wow. I'm like, that was super encouraging you said that. Because like I felt the same way. I felt like entering this book felt like me entering into a very warm, cozy blanket of like everything I've already want to be heard of like things I want to say. And so I think like wrestling with the fact that like I have friends at who work at some of the churches that he's criticizing. Yeah. Right. And like and and they're godly Christ honoring gospel-centered people who happen to be working at North Point. Right. Or or at Saddleback or whatever church that he might be criticizing in this book. Like so. So with that being said, it's like I, I, I wanted to wrestle with with some of the things where it's like, yeah, there's some stuff that's like, yes, name man. I already agree with him. But then there was other aspects that were like, I want to challenge with it. I think my <laughs> Andrew, don't look back. Too much. I think uh, uh, I, call, to- I call that one. Look back at it. <laughs> Hey, if you want, if you're if you're listening to this episode and you don't, if you want to watch it, um, go on YouTube or on the Facebook group. This will all be there. That was really funny. Um, I think my biggest takeaway is actually that chapter on transition. I think like I, my church in particular has been through two major transitions, maybe now three transitions, and I think we get better with every transition. And I think this gives you kind of like a really good outline of transition. So that was really good. Um, all right. Hey, thank you so Frank, much. Frank, you said you have friends at attractional churches. Call them out right now. Call them out. Just kidding. Don't <laughs> do it. Oh, he was about to. Don't, no. don't do that. <laughs> no, no, no. I, they, I, know, they know who they are. 
Yeah. No, nah, they're great guys. Um, and ladies. <laughs> they're good ladies. And ladies. They're, they're not listening to this. Yeah, it's true. But <laughs> ladies? Did you say they're ladies? Too, because that's something that wasn't mentioned once in the book, but that's okay. Oh. I will. Oh. It's the Billy Graham rule. That, you that's can't not write true. about women. That's not true. <laughs> he, he mentioned he mentioned Jen, Jen Hatmaker, but not by name. And so, the children's yeah. minister. And the children's minister, who was already doing things right, but He's doing a minister. Okay. Oh man. Ooh, children's director. Children's director. Hey, um, dude, this was good. Uh, so hey, what we? If you're still listening, if you're still watching, um, we're I'm in the Facebook group. I'm gonna put the next book options for the month of March. Um, there's some already some 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 really good books that are gonna be there. It's gonna be hard to pick just one. So we'll, we'll do the same thing. It's gonna be in the Facebook group. It'll be up for a couple of days. The one with the most votes will be chosen. All the book options will have an audible version. So please join us for the next one. And then probably the first Monday in April, maybe we'll be able to uh, do this again. And hey, thank you so much for joining us. That'll be and my birthday next- episode. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Until next time, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. And this is Frank Miller Pastoring. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.